and welcome to Health Affairs This Week, the podcast where editors of Health Affairs and guests talk about the health policy news of the week. I'm Rob Lott. And I'm Chris Fleming. We're really excited today to be joined by Sabrina Corlett. Uh, But before I introduce Sabrina, I wanted to note that regular listeners of this podcast might have noticed that Rob's been absent from our rotation for a while. Rob's been out on paternal leave uh, the past few months, taking care of his son, Noam. Welcome back, Rob, and an official, if belated, health affairs this week. Welcome to the world for Noam. Thanks, Chris. Uh, it was really wonderful to have uh, time with our new little son and uh, and our whole family. Um, that's a really special opportunity um, to uh, take advantage of uh, paternal leave. I, I appreciate it. And um, it's also good to be back. And so thanks, Chris. One of the pleasures, obviously, of being back is uh, participating in this podcast. And uh, today to introduce Sabrina Corlett. Our guest, um, a research professor and co-director of the Center on Health Insurance Reform at Georgetown University's McCourt School of Public Policy, where she directs research on health reform issues with a particular focus on state and federal regulation of private health insurance. Uh, Perhaps most importantly, she's a regular contributor to Health Affairs Journal, Health Affairs Forefront, and a real expert on our topic of discussion today. So Sabrina, welcome. We're thrilled to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I'd like to just add my voice to the congratulations, Rob. Um, it's exciting news, and I'm really happy for you and your family. Thanks. Well, the background uh, Rob just mentioned makes Sabrina an ideal candidate to talk to us today about the newest iteration of a major document that the Department of Health and Human Services puts out every year, the final uh, uh, the notice of uh, benefit and payment parameters and this year, we're talking about the final uh, 2024 notice of benefit and payment parameters. Uh, the NBPP, or payment rule, as it's less formally called to its friends, uh, gathers together policy changes related to the marketplaces, risk adjustment. Uh, it lays out insurance market reforms that HHS and uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, intends to pursue in the coming year. Uh, We're only going to have some time uh, to talk about a few of the highlights of uh, this year's payment rule. So I'd really encourage listeners to check out uh, the three articles analyzing the rule at length uh, on Health Affairs Forefront by Sabrina, uh, Matt Fiedler, and Tara Straw. We'll put a link to this material in the show notes. So Sabrina, let's just dig in here. We wanted to start maybe by walking through some of the significant aspects of this year's payment rule. Uh, what should listeners know about it? Well, thank you, Rob. Um, yeah, so first of all, I, I want listeners to know that despite the dry and rather esoteric uh, title for this rule, the Notice of Benefit and Payment Parameters, this really is um, an important rule to be taking a look at because it it is the administration's statement of a policy towards the Affordable Care Act marketplaces and insurance reforms. Uh, and it really um, gives you a great sense of, of the administration's vision for um, what they want uh, for these important programs. So this year's rule, which um, goes into effect in 60 days, but is really uh, for plan year 2024. So really, most of the provisions won't be felt until January 1st of 2024. I see sort of several key uh, policies that, that that the administration is trying to advance. 
first, there are a number of efforts here to build on recent enrollment gains um, that we have seen in the marketplaces, and they're doing that in a number of ways. One, they're trying to expand the role of marketplace navigators. These are the um, uh, assisters that are out there helping people with their eligibility applications, helping them pick plans. Um, a key ch uh, change that they're trying to make is to allow these navigators to do direct outreach, door-to-door uh, -door or otherwise um, with consumers to try to bring those who are eligible but not yet insured um, into the fold. The administration is also trying to reduce some of the paperwork burdens that uh, people face when they're trying to apply for marketplace plans. Um, one of the big challenges people have, particularly if they're a gig economy worker or uh, part-time or seasonal, is trying to figure out what their income is going to be for the next year. And so um, this rule would um, limit the amount of paperwork that they have to upload and document to, to prove their income. Um, another key uh, change that they, are, um, that they are implementing is to try to improve the consumer shopping experience. So um, currently in, in this year, the um, average consumer has over 100 plans to choose from. It's just an overwhelming number of plans that they have to look through and figure out what might be right for them. Um, so the administration is proposing to limit the number of plans that insurance companies can offer to try to reduce what they call this overload, this plan choice overload that consumers are facing. Another thing they are working on is to try to improve um, the affordability of the coverage. Um, we know there are a lot of marketplace enrollees who qualify for plans that have reduced cost sharing. That's like lower deductibles, lower coinsurance. Um, but they don't take advantage of, of those um, cost-sharing reduction subsidies. Um, so the administration is proposing to, to kind of help route those folks who are eligible into plans where they can take advantage of those reduced deductibles. Um, and then the third thing I would point out about this rule um, that uh, is, a, is a, uh, again, building on some past um, policy work that the administration has been doing is an effort to to improve the network access um, to, that consumers have in these plans. So making sure that there, first of all, is a provider network, um, uh, that's a new requirement. And then um, that uh, in 2025, um, that plans meet uh, appointment wait time standards. In other, in other words, you can't wait too long to have to access a, a provider. Sort of more of a general overarching comment I would make about this final rule is all of the provisions uh, are, seem to be aimed at um, advancing health equity. So many of the proposals are really targeted to improve affordability, improve the experience for um, low-income vulnerable populations um, that may have faced barriers in the past. Let's broaden the focus a little bit. You know, one of the main subjects of the payment rule is obviously the marketplaces. Uh, the new payment rule, as you mentioned, is for 2024. Uh, that will mark the 10th anniversary of the marketplaces. Uh, to say the least, it's been an eventful 10 years, lots of ups and downs. What, what's your assessment of where the marketplaces stand now? Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. That has been, uh, it, it has been quite a roller coaster um, and, and hard to believe it's been 10 years. Um, I, I would say I don't think the state of the marketplaces has ever been better. 
Um, we saw unprecedented high enrollment in the last open enrollment season. It's um, over 16 million people, uh, increase of about 13% over last year. Um, I, that's attributable to uh, two main things, I think. Um, one is a big investment that the Biden administration has made in consumer outreach, assistance, uh, spreading the word about the availability of subsidies and making sure people have the help they need to get enrolled. Um, the other big piece, of course, is um, legislation that was first enacted um, uh, uh, in 2021 and then um, extended with the Inflation Reduction Act last fall that um, expanded the subsidies that are available to people up and down the income scale, really helping to make um, the premiums for these plans much, much more affordable. So I think those those two things are really driving the enrollment growth. Um, and uh, so I think, uh, you know, it's it's looking really promising for even more growth uh, for next year. There are a few uh, potential flashing yellow lights uh, <laughs> ahead um, for the Affordable Care Act and for the marketplaces. One, I would say, uh, as as your readers and, and listeners undoubtedly know, um, we are just starting what people call the Medicaid unwinding. Um, this is where state Medicaid agencies are, are combing through their roles and, and redetermining eligibility for over 90 million uh, Americans. Um, and uh, many of those could lose their Medicaid coverage. Estimates are between 15 to 18 million could lose their Medicaid coverage. Some of them will be eligible for marketplace plans. Um, and so the marketplaces are going to need to provide that soft landing and smooth transition for people, which is no small challenge, particularly since we're outside of the annual open enrollment period. And so many you know, may not have um, the same capacity uh, that, that call centers and navigators typically have um, during that open enrollment season. Another thing I would flag is uh, we saw from Speaker McCarthy a proposal from the Republicans uh, around the budget deal. Um, and who knows uh, how those negotiations will play out. Uh, we have a, you know, the debt ceiling is, is a looming threat. But um, to the extent that the Affordable Care Act um, subsidy enhancements are part of that negotiation, um, that could put some of the affordability improvements at risk. Um, also, of course, uh, the speaker has targeted Medicaid as well um, and, and proposing to attach work requirements um, to that program, which could negatively impact a number of Medicaid enrollees as well. Um, and the third thing I'll mention is a, a challenge that's looming in the federal courts. There is a lawsuit uh, pending where a district court judge has recently agreed to strike down the Affordable Care Act's preventive services. Uh, benefits. This is an ACA requirement that insurers cover and waive cost sharing for high value preventive services like cancer screenings, mental health assessments, uh, prevention of heart disease, etc. Um, and if those are struck down, um, one of the most popular benefits in the Affordable Care Act could go away for an estimated 150 million people. Sabrina, uh, we, we're almost out of time, but um, before we wrap up, I did want to broaden our focus uh, uh, even further and ask you 
what other uh, health policy issues you've got your eye on, maybe um, things related to insurance and coverage, certainly, but perhaps others as well that we should be watching? Yeah, thank you, Rob. Um, well, first of all, I would say that you know, while the Affordable Care Act did a lot to expand access to insurance coverage, affordability is still a real concern, not just for the individual market, but for people with employer based insurance as well, and not just premiums, but also um, deductibles. Um, for the Biden administration, um, there is still some unfinished business, including some rules on short-term uh, limited duration plans, Medicaid managed care access, and on health and gender equity um, through Section 1557. And then the last thing I would just say is, you know, today we've talked a lot about um, action here at, in Washington at the federal level, but I would be remiss not to mention some of the really exciting and innovative coverage work that's happening in state capitals around the country, um, including on affordability, covering undocumented residents, and, in, and creating automatic enrollment systems to smooth coverage transitions. So um, watch the states. There's a lot of really exciting stuff going on there. And um, uh, I thank you so much for including me in this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Sabrina, for joining us. Obviously, so much more to talk about um, and plenty for all three of us to to do with our day jobs. So uh, looking forward to the work ahead. Thanks again. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners as well. Uh, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next week.